Hey guys, and welcome to episode number 12 at The Messy Table. I'm Jen, and I am just super honored that you're joining me from wherever you are. Whether you're running errands, driving to work, on the elliptical, folding laundry, or maybe you're hiding in the bathroom from your kids because it's summer and you just need a minute, right? Well, if you haven't been here before, know that The Messy Table is really just an ordinary space where we come as we are, share some real life, and remind each other that God is good and faithful and present even in the mess. Each episode, I get to chat with a different incredible woman who you might not get the chance to hear from otherwise. And today you're in for a treat. Lauren McAfee is a lover of people and of God's word. She's currently pursuing her PhD while working as corporate ambassador for her family's business, Hobby Lobby. She's also a pastor's wife and a huge advocate and voice for Museum of the Bible, which will open in DC in a few short months. Lauren is passionate about her calling, and she is really just a bright light in this world. God put it on my heart that we needed her perspective here at the messy table, and you are going to love her. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and let's get to it. Hey, Lauren. Hey, thanks for having me. Welcome to the messy table, and thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's such an honor. I'm so grateful. Well, we're going to talk about all kinds of fun things, but before we get going, will you just tell everyone a little bit about yourself and give them a peek into your world? Sure. Yeah. So I live in Oklahoma City and grew up here and have lived here most of my life. I have five siblings and we were all homeschooled. So I had this really a unique experience getting to grow up with tons of siblings around and all of us kind of being home together a lot with my mom who taught us uh, all of our lessons. And uh, my dad taught us math in the morning before he'd go to work. And then my mom taught us everything else. So um, I have a really close family and love living in Oklahoma City and working with my family now and just kind of living life. And I've been married for eight years and uh, love serving um the nonprofit that I get to be involved with and our church community um, because my husband is a pastor and I absolutely love that. So yeah, that's just a, I don't know, brief random rundown of of who I am. Yes. And now can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah. So I work with my family's business at Hobby Lobby. So my Grandpa founded Hobby Lobby and um, is still the CEO and running the business every day. He loves it. And my dad is the president of the company. So it's fun to get to work alongside them. So I'm corporate ambassador with Hobby Lobby, but I also still get to be involved in Museum of the Bible, which is hmm. um, the the project that kind of my dad got started on, uh, let's see, eight years ago. It was about eight years ago that my dad began kind of um, working on this vision of seeing a museum of the Bible come about. And so Uh. he's the founder and board chair. And, uh, it's an exciting project that opens in Washington, DC in just a couple months. Actually. So exciting. I'm pumped. Yes, me too. First of all, you're mentioning homeschooling. You were some of the cool homeschoolers before (laughs) homeschooling was cool. Oh, that's great. (laughs) You were, you, (laughs) It was a great experience for me and my I think it helped that I had so many siblings. Right. So, you had your own class. Yeah, we got to, yeah, we got to spend time around other people because mm-hmm. there were so many of us. Yeah. But yeah, you know, here in Oklahoma, there's also a great um, homeschool community. And so we had a lot of uh, friends that we would go on cool field trips with. And uh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. I really, and my mom was a great teacher. So 
That's, we loved it. Yeah. yeah. You are also <laughs> probably one of the cutest redheads I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> No, I thanks. feel like you could be in a no. hair commercial, you know, just <laughs> blowing in the wind. Oh my gosh, that's great. You know, I was the only one in my family for three generations that has red hair. And so I... Just out of the blue. My parents, yeah, my parents were really surprised when I was born with red hair. I have a great grandma on my mom's side and a great grandma on my dad's side that had red hair. And so... Wow. Yeah, skipped a couple of generations and then I, I had the red hair. But yeah, I used to I used to hate it back in like middle school because it was different and I yeah. just didn't like that I stood out. But I've come to appreciate yeah the the red hair. You can embrace it now. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we go way back. We have the same roots, growing up in the same um, incredible church, Council Road Baptist Church in yeah. Oklahoma City. And in fact, my parents and grandparents and brother and his family are all still there. And you guys are there. Your husband is on staff. Yes. Yeah, we love love being at Council Road. Yeah. So you know, we go way back. So I've been there a long time. Uh, really grew up at that church. And that's actually where I met Michael. So my husband, Michael, and I, we were seven years old when we uh, were both going, started going to that church. That's he had so been fun. there. And then I started going to Council Road. And so, yeah, we met when we were seven. And <laughs> he he likes to joke that he spent the next 10 years trying to convince me to date him. But <laughs> yeah, 10 years later, when we were 17, yeah, seven high school old. sweethearts. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Well, there is something special for those people who don't really know what a church family is. There is something so special about that. And there's a piece of that place that will always feel like home to me. And it's the people. It's a great church. It's where I started my relationship with God. Um, There's so many women who poured into me. And I'm just, I'm really grateful for that season. Yeah, so. me too. Yeah. My husband loves serving on staff there because the staff is just incredible and um, it's just been a, a really incredible place to get to call home and to get to continue growing in our faith, but also to get involved in serving the community and mm-hmm. supporting missions around the world. I love that about our church is it's so missional mm-hmm. and really, um, just as well, locally, as well as globally wanting to really just advance, um, the cause of Christ mm-hmm. and, and doing that in an authentic uh, way. So Absolutely. Yeah, we love yep. it. Mm-hmm. So when I went to college, I started going to Life Church and then moved to Tulsa and got, we got to help um, launch a few new campuses here. But we're always talking about, my husband and I are constantly <laughs> talking about how we are all about the capital C church, both locally yes. and globally. And we, you know, we are the body of Christ. We're on the same team and, you know, so many, yeah. I think people get a stigma about the church that they're, you know, competing and we're, we're not like it's a huge world and we need each other. So exactly. And I, I love that, that vision for wanting to see us as really united. And Mm -hmm. I think that, so I lived in New York city for about a year and just moved back, um, last this past fall. And it was really neat to see the environment of the church there in Mm -hmm. New York city. New York city is, uh, obviously a much more secular environment than Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And it was neat to see the reliance that the churches had on each other and just kind of saw the need for each other because they, you know, had to support each other and cheer each other on because that, you know, they didn't have a lot of other support from Mm -hmm. the culture there. So, um, that was really neat to experience that. I know you were traveling a lot as well when you were based out of there, but did you guys plug into a specific church there or did you kind of jump around or? Yeah. So we, we got involved actually in a church plant. Uh, our friend, we got, well, 
he became our friend, but we got heard about a, a church planter. His name was Drew Griffin, and he was planting a church there in the Upper East Side of Manhattan called Cross Church. And mm-hmm. so we wanted to get involved. So we started going to his church and it's a great community. We love, we still go back to that church whenever we're in New York city. So we were just there a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah, loved being involved. It was, it was much different, you know, it's a small community and they're just trying to get things going and, um, yeah, it's really a, a neat experience. And we also did go, uh, to Redeemer Church sometimes too, which, uh, you know, where Tim Keller was mm-hmm. the pastor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was great. it was neat to have both experiences. Kind of this small church plant, um, getting to be a part yeah. of this, this organic community, but also going to kind of this really large established church. Mm-hmm. So, oh, New York City. So, what was the best? <laughs> what was the best and worst things about living there? There are so many great things about living in New York, and I miss it a lot. Mm-hmm. But so we lived in the Upper West Side. And we were just an avenue away from Central Park. So I uh, love being close to Central Park. That was an amazing, amazing experience. Oh, yeah, because anytime but, I've been to New York City, I love it. But then I come home yeah. almost craving a little pasture land. <laughs> like, I need a little bit yeah. of open space. And so if you're close yes. to Central Park, then that'll, that'll at least great. fill that craving. Yeah. Yeah. But the food, I mean, there's so many good food options. And I loved being in a city where you could walk anywhere. Um, it's not easy to really walk anywhere in Oklahoma because mm-hmm. everything is so spread out, mm-hmm. but yeah, I miss the walking. Oh um, yeah. That would be fun. I've always yeah. like dreamed about living in a community where you can walk or bike yeah. everywhere. I think it's great. Phenomenal. I loved it. So what was yeah. the, what was the hardest thing about being there? So it was definitely, I mean, the hard thing is it's super expensive. It's, yeah. uh, crazy, crazy expensive. I mean, just every, every, so from, you know, apartments to mm-hmm. even just groceries. I mean, everything is more expensive there. Um, so that was difficult. You know, you had to figure out your budget, watch it a little closer right. <laughs> living out there than, than Oklahoma. But, um, and it was also, if the subway was messed up or the subway was down, then that made it tricky if you're trying to get somewhere because we didn't have a car, you know, we just relied on walking or the public transit. And so if the subway was down or it was, you know, running late, then that was unfortunate, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it maybe, was still fun. Maybe everyone that lives there has like a mutual understanding, however, yeah. <laughs> that that's just how it works. Yes, that's true. That, that was helpful. Yeah. All right. Well, you have been Lauren McAfee for a long time, but I still know you as Lauren Green <laughs> because... <laughs> yes. That's just who you are to me. So let's talk a little bit about kind of your family. So years ago, like you said, your grandparents started making what picture frames? Is that what yeah, it was in their garage? That's right. And picture long, frames in the garage. I, <laughs> and long story <laughs> short, that was the beginning of a little tiny business called Hobby Lobby. Yeah. So obviously this is your life, this is your family, and it's normal to you. But what I guess what do you realize now as a grown up that you probably took for granted as a kid, if that makes sense? Yeah, you know, growing up, I am really grateful that I had no idea. I just didn't really have a perspective for what Hobby Lobby was, other than the fact that I knew it was where my dad went to work mm-hmm. and that it's where my grandpa also worked and my uncle worked. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, it was just kind of, it was a lot smaller whenever I was growing up. You know, Hobby Lobby has seen a lot of growth in the past 10 years. And so whenever I was growing up, it was, you know, just a modest size family business. 
and um, not a lot of people knew a lot about it. It was a great experience to kind of grow up not having, not feeling, I guess, the weight of having this family business that people knew about and had expectations for. It's it's definitely uh, a lot of fun to get to work with family now. So growing up, I didn't ever know what I wanted to do exactly, but I kind of thought that it'd be fun to work in the family business. And so going to college, I decided that that was probably what I was going to do. I wanted to work in the business. I had worked at the Hobby Lobby stores um, in the summer whenever I was in high school, and I worked at the Hobby Lobby store in Norman while I was in school at the University of Oklahoma. And just, you know, thought, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. I, you know, love the vision behind what my family had built and the idea that this company is not actually our families. This is God's, it's God's company and we're stewards of it and Mm -hmm. we get to be a part of it. And so we want to make decisions based off of that mentality and thinking, you know, if this is God's company, what would he have us do with it? Mm -hmm. So how can we further the kingdom with all that we've been given and with um, how we run the company and how we interact with each other. That's awesome. So obviously, you know, you guys do such an amazing job of just, like you said, stewarding the kingdom and being representatives of Christ. But also, you know, I think sometimes people, especially probably non-believers, um, can wrongfully mistake people for God whenever, (laughs) yes, we are. Yes, we do want to do our best to, you know, be ambassadors for him, but we also sometimes imperfectly execute. And so do you feel like that's difficult sometimes with that standard, with that bar being raised so high on your family? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I know that for different, different members of my generation of the family, we felt that in different ways of kind of these expectations that, you know, oh, you're in the green family and, um, you know, people, especially after the Supreme Court uh, journey that we had uh, four years ago, or I guess, yeah, a couple years ago, people kind of that, you know, we were kind of all over the media. And so people have come to know us as a Christian family, or if you say, you know, if you will. But that, you know, has carried with it the feeling of expectations that my generation has had to work through of learning to navigate that mm-hmm. and also just learning to really find our identity in Christ Absolutely. and not find it in what our last name is or the business that our family's involved in mm-hmm. or some of the other things that our families become known for. And I think that that is where we're able to find the freedom and the the peace and the joy that we have mm-hmm. to walk kind of our own path. And that's looked different for, I mean, some of us are in the family business and some of us aren't, but it's really only by finding our identity in Christ and, and looking to God's word for that, that we're able to, yeah, not have to be crushed under the weight of maybe those outside expectations. Absolutely. And that, I mean, everyone can relate to that as far as maybe a label that's put on you because of your family, or it might just be um, either a positive label or a negative label, but yeah, you know, we exactly. all have to, we all have to kind of let that sink deep into us that our yes. identity is found in Christ. So exactly. And your, your grandfather, David Green recently re- released a book, giving it all away. And yes. 
it's about generosity, but it's also kind of about faith and legacy and family. So I know you've been helping him get the word out. (laughs) So just give us a quick little, like, what's this book all about? Yeah. So grandpa released the book, giving it all away just, yeah, a couple months ago, as you mentioned. And the, it's a really beautiful book of him just sharing his journey of what God has taught him. And he has a lot of wisdom. So I was really happy to see that he was willing to write a book because he is very introverted. And so he doesn't like attention. He likes to come into the office and get his work done. (laughs) Um, And that's worked out great for him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in the book, he really talks about kind of his journey to seeing everything in life as a part of what our legacy is and what we're leaving behind and really wanting to be intentional to shape that to where we're passing on not just... Uh, possessions or things that we can see in this world, but really looking at how do we pass on those things that are invisible? So how do we pass on our faith to our family? Um, How do we uh, be generous in a way that we can um, share God's word and share Jesus Christ with the world so that there are more people that are going to be in the kingdom of heaven because of my time here on earth? And how do we pass on our values of faith so that the generations below us can um, continue on the values of continuing to put God first? So he, yeah, he really shares a lot of his wisdom just in that kind of having that eternal mindset Mm -hmm. of wanting to invest in things that are going to last instead of looking um, at the things that are going to, that are here on this earth that we can see, but are really of no importance. Mm-hmm. I love so, that. Yeah. He, love he's that. got a lot of wisdom. Way to go. Yeah, I recommend the book. Grandpa Green. <laughs> yeah. He, okay. he, he reluctantly wrote it, but I'm very proud of him. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's great. really good. Yeah. It, and you mentioned it, but something really exciting is happening this November in DC, just a few blocks from the Capitol. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about Museum of the Bible? What is it? (laughs) Why is it coming to DC? What's it all about? I would love to. Yeah. So Museum of the Bible, I mentioned my dad um, kind of founded this back in 2009 with the vision of seeing the Bible displayed and celebrated and engaged in as a museum. We have museums to everything. You know, we have museums to the presidents, to natural history, to, uh, you know, there's a spy museum, which I hear is cool and I really want to <laughs> check out. But, you know, all of these things that have museums and we don't have a museum to the most important book in the world, the book that has been the most read, the most uh, debated, the most controversial uh, and also the book that has continued to be a bestseller every year. So the Bible has had an incredible impact. And so we wanted to see the the Bible come to a museum in a really engaging way so that the, and, and so the mission is for the museum of the Bible to invite all people to engage in the Bible. So it's pretty simple. We just, we want to get people to engage in the Bible and we do that by having interesting um, and high-tech in different kind of exhibits. So the museum is going in Washington, D.C. 
Uh, we bought a building there a few years ago, so it's going to be, uh, you know, right there in the heart of D.C. It's two That's blocks great. south of the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, which is mm-hmm. one of the most attended museums in D.C. And it's a 12-minute walk from the U.S. Capitol to our building. So it's, yeah, it's right there. We even have a subway, st- our own subway stop that's under our building. Yeah. But, you you yeah. know you're on the map when you have a subway stop. <laughs> I know. It's important stuff, <laughs> those subway stops. But yeah, it's going to be an eight-story building, 430,000 square feet. So wow. it's it's a major museum, and it's all about the Bible. So our exhibits are we are kind of the main stories we're telling is we're wanting to talk about the history of the Bible, uh-huh. and by that I mean how did we get this book? So when right. we hold our Bible in our hands, kind of what is the story through mm-hmm. history that allowed us to have this text? So you know, talking about the different manuscripts, the people that gave their lives so that this book would be translated and copied down for the next generation Mm -hmm. and exploring that. So that'll kind of be all covered in the history floor. And then one of the other aspects we want to look at will be the impact of the Bible. So the Bible has impacted our world throughout history and still impacting every area of life today, even, Mm -hmm. even in ways that we wouldn't think about it. So um, there are kind of the things that you might think of where the Bible's impacted, obviously, like the church and people's lives, but the Bible's also impacted areas like movies. You can hear biblical quotes in all kinds of movies, and not even and even movies that aren't Christian movies, but are just you know mm-hmm. regular secular movies. Yeah. But will have biblical themes and literature all through history. I mean, Shakespeare had all kinds of references to the Bible and Scripture in it. And even <laughs> there is a couture fashion show in New York City a few years ago, and the theme was fashion of the Bible. And so we, <laughs> you know, got some of those couture dresses, and those will be on display and looking at the Bible's impact even in fashion. So that'll be a really neat floor to see the ways that the Bible's impacted all over our world and all over our history. Mm-hmm. And um, even how has the Bible impacted our country? So mm-hmm. the Bible in America, because it's had a significant impact. Right. So that'll be the impact floor. And then the the last kind of main exhibit hall will be talking about the Bible's narrative. So if, if you don't know anything about the Bible walking into this museum, that's great. You can get a high-level overview by going to the narrative floor. And we'll kind of walk through Genesis to Revelation, um, what is kind of the broad story summary. Mm-hmm. So kind of how Mark Burnett and Roma Downing did the entire Bible in 10 episodes for their Bible Mm miniseries, we're going to do the whole Bible on one exhibit floor. So it'll be really engaging and interactive. So you'll kind of be walking through the stories. So you'll feel like you're in the midst of the stories um, so that it's kind of immersive and engaging. So it's really fun. We made it, it's one of the most technologically advanced museums in the world because we really wanted this to be done with excellence and to, yeah, what did I hear about like the next a generation? Giant digital ceiling or something? Yes, we have one of the world's largest digital ceilings. So whenever you walk in the lobby, the ceiling is a huge digital screen, and that ceiling can rotate different biblical art or show different movies. 
uh, different videos. And so that every time you walk in, you're having a different experience because awesome. there's different art. Yeah. Wow. It's very cool. And you I can't s- wait for people so to come in. You mentioned that your husband's a teaching pastor, but he also works for Museum of the Bible, correct? Yes. Yep. So my husband, Michael is director of Bible engagement with Museum of the Bible. So he gets to connect with churches and faith-based nonprofits to partner with them and help provide, provide some of our resources to churches and he loves getting to travel around and teach and speak about the project as well as teach on um, kind of the the kind of idea of the history of the Bible. So he mm-hmm. does a lot of different lectures on um, how we got the Bible, which are really helpful and interesting. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. We're having a lot of fun. (laughs) I love that. We love it. Well, and when you were talking about um, just how did we get the Bible, you know, what's the history? How do we get it in our hands? I was thinking about how there's still so many people out there, you know, in our world, it seems impossible, but there are um, still hundreds of languages out there that have not been they, they, yes, they don't have their own translation right. yet. And so thinking about you're the, right. you know, where we are right now, people are still working to get there. I know obviously we at Life Church yeah. love the YouVersion Bible app created in house. And yes. um, I think it's been given away for free close to, I think we're getting close to 300 million times I'd have to yeah, check. And obviously that's nothing that, that, that we have done. That's all um, God just through his people. But like you guys were partnering with, helping resource other organizations who are big players in getting the Bible translated into some of these languages so that they have it in their heart language. Because right now they don't. Yeah. You know, there are so many connections and I love that the, you know, it's such a small world, but exactly what you were talking about there, the version has been really great. And we've partnered with version at yes. Museum of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in a number of different levels, but one of them is to do with this Bible translation project that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's a group that called, it's called every tribe, every nation, version is a, a part of that where they're trying to get the Bible into every language in the world by 2033. So in Museum of the Bible on our uh, impact floor, you'll be able to go to a room that talks about kind of what are the the remaining translations that need to be covered. So there there's about 2000 languages left in the world that don't have any of the Bible in their uh, heart language. And we um, have gotten to partner with Every Tribe, Every Nation to show that in this room, all of the languages that do have the Bible, but also show the languages that are in progress and then the languages that have yet to be started. So mm-hmm. you can go in there and see kind of where we're at, where I mean, collectively where we're at on the translation. And then you can actually support Bible translation. So you can go in and see know, this language doesn't have any of the Bible, but I'm going to help fund the translation of the book of John, hmm. or maybe you can cover John chapter one. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really neat and interactive, um, to get to be involved in that. And you version is doing an, it's been an incredible tool to be able to get those languages accessible right. to people all over the world. So mm-hmm. oh, yeah, so some great. really cool collaboration and projects. And I love that co- collaboration aspect that you see today with some of these really, um, incredible nonprofits and ministries that are wanting to, mm-hmm. for the greater good yes. of the kingdom, work alongside other ministries, right. like-minded ministries, because we can do more together. We can apart. way more and together than apart. I think mm-hmm. so important, but 
sadly, uh, often is more difficult than it sounds. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate saying the growth and humility to, to see great leaders work alongside each other. I think that's one really exciting thing about the day that we live in and modern technology. You know, um, Satan's using technology for a lot of bad, but yes, you know, God redeems and he's using it to redeem and to tell his story and also to connect again, I think the global church and say, you know what, um, any Bible teaching church, you know, we have the fundamental essentials that are the same and you know what, we might do baptism a little bit different. We might do communion a little (laughs) bit different, but you know, the fundamentals are the same and we are all going to stand every tribe, language and nation are going to stand before the throne of God one day together. And it's, we're not going to have you know, our church t-shirts on, it's just going to be <laughs> one name, Jesus, and that's it. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that. Um, well, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about some of, cause I know obviously you guys have a plethora of amazing artifacts. What are some specific mm-hmm. artifacts at museum of the Bible that you find kind of the most interesting or that strengthen your faith? Yeah, there are so many incredible things. It's always hard to answer that question. So we have 40,000 artifacts between the collection, and those range from things that date to 2000 BC, so 4,000 years ago, Mm -hmm. all the way up to kind of modern times and everything in between. So Mm -hmm. I think some really neat things are we have um, over a dozen Dead Sea Scroll fragments. Uh, and those are just really interesting and significant because of the incredible discovery that they were and that they were um, so much earlier than the kind of latest dating manuscripts we had had until yes. we found the Dead Sea Scroll fragments. Yes. So those are really neat because they've meant so much for um, just the scholarly research community and for people's faith mm-hmm. that I love getting to. I mean, it's amazing to get to see those in person, you know, and just look at those and uh, see the Hebrew text. And I'm studying Hebrew right now, so I'm not quite good enough. Yeah, because you didn't mention it. you're getting your PhD. <laughs> you're stu- you just yes. graduated with your master's, right? And yes, I did. In, in May. That's exciting. I am. Yes. Well, so, I'm um, mildly obsessed with the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I really am. I so, <laughs> so real quick, just well, for perfect. someone who maybe doesn't know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are, um, I guess, let me just fill people in, in case you're like, yes, what? Please do. I've heard of Go that. I don't really know. So back in, I think it was 1947, um, there were like some shepherds who threw a rock in a sea cave near the village of Qumran, which is like 20 miles outside of Jerusalem near the Dead Sea. And inside were some old jars with some old scrolls. And this eventually led to the discovery of more caves, more jars, more scrolls. And some of these scrolls were biblical, some were non-biblical, but the significance mm-hmm. for Christians and Lauren hit on this, but first of all, every book of the Old Testament was found except Esther. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 And, um, but for years and years, people have said, the Bible's been changed. The Bible's been distorted. The Bible's been altered. You can't trust the Bible. But if you take, for example, I love the book of Isaiah, which contains so many of the Messianic prophecies, which are the prophecies about this coming Messiah who was, Mm -hmm. who he was supposedly going to be. And not only was the great Isaiah scroll so well preserved, but other than some really minor spelling or um, grammatical differences, it was totally accurate. And it actually dated back, you mentioned this, but it dated back 
what was it, a thousand years earlier than the oldest yeah. copy that was in existence exactly before yeah so these so the scrolls date to kind of 400 um bc to uh three like mid mid 300s uh, ad i think i just love that they're very early (laughs) i love that for 2000 years these scrolls were just sitting in these caves hidden and it was only 70 years ago that god was like all right watch this i've been saving these for this generation Yeah, it's it amazing. It gets me excited. So that's some of my favorite as well. Yeah. So <laughs> I love that. I, I, love I know. You. I'm sorry. <laughs> love it. That's no, that's amazing. That's perfect. You articulated that way better than I could have. <laughs> no. Well, again, that's it's, perfect. It's, the Dead Sea Scrolls are one thing that I just, I love. It's, it's yeah. such an exciting me too. discovery. So what else? What else is exciting? So I also think that the, so we have the first complete English Bible that was printed in America. It's called the Aiken Bible. Mm. And an interesting thing about the Aiken Bible is that it it was illegal to print the Bible in America at the time because we were still under the British rule and we had to get permission from them to print everything oh, wow. in, in America. Mm-hmm. And so they had cut off the supply of new Bibles being shipped into America. And so we didn't, we, there was a shortage of Bibles. And uh, a guy named John Aiken petitioned Congress asking for permission to print the Bible in America. And they, the group of congressmen reviewed the manuscript, the Bible, and approved it to be printed. And so Robert Aiken then uh, proceeded to print the Bible here in America. So it's the first Bible printed in America. But the neat thing is that in the front page of that Bible is the letter from Congress giving John, uh, yeah, Robert Aiken the permission to print the Bible. And in that letter, it says that they, as Congress, has, have reviewed the Bible and they give permission to print it and that they recommend the reading of this book to all the American inhabitants, wow. which is really neat to That's just really cool. see the, you know, that example of what the Bible meant to our founders and mm-hmm. the early um yeah, early people here in America that they were recommending the reading of this book to all the inhabitants. That is really neat. Yeah. So that's another really interesting one. And I also really like um, an item called the Codex Climaci Rescriptus, which is a 6th to 9th century manuscript that has two layers of text on it. So it's called a palimpsest. So uh, manuscripts were written on animal skin. They didn't have paper. So on this particular manuscript, it's been rewritten on because someone, so there was a sixth century manuscript and then a couple centuries later, some people came along probably, couldn't read the text, but they wanted to recycle that actual, the vellum, the animal skin to rewrite on top of it. So they tried to scrape off the text that was already there and then they rewrote on it their manuscript. The interesting thing about it is that because of technology today with multispectral imaging, which means that we take a picture of that manuscript under 12 different spectrums of lighting, we can read the underneath layers of text because the ink will respond differently under the different spectrums of lighting. So we're able to read that text for the first time 
Um, and we have a current research project going on. There have been really neat discoveries from that text already, and, and it's still an ongoing process. The research is being done by Cambridge in England. So um, I got to do some of the imaging on that manuscript, so it was kind of fun that I got to have uh, a personal connection. That but is exciting. It's just, yeah, it's really an interesting piece on a number of levels. So, hmm. Yeah. Those are some uh, some of my favorites. That's really a cool. lot of great things. Yeah, I can't wait for people to be able to walk in mm-hmm. at the museum and get to see these really incredible pieces of history, um, history of the Bible and the history of our faith. Because, because for those of us that are of faith, it really gives so much strength mm-hmm. to, and you know, to speak to what you were saying, just to be able to see that the translation was done so well and mm-hmm. so accurately and meticulously that the, this, this word was provided for generations, um, and translated and passed down and it has not changed over right. time. You know, there are, you know, scholar, I, whenever I was in my undergraduate, I had a guest speaker. I was a religious studies minor and a guest speaker came and told us all the reasons we couldn't believe in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And he said, there are more errors between manuscripts about the Bible than there are words in the Bible. And, Hmm. you know, you hear things like that and this is really concerning and discouraging. But what he doesn't say is that those differences are maybe spelling a name differently. So maybe you spell Rebecca one way, but another person spells it a different way. Mm -hmm. Or there's a comma in this manuscript and there's not one in this. So they're not changing really Mm -hmm. the text and the content, but there's slight differences like that that Mm -hmm. are somewhat unconsequential. Which is common in any ancient document. Exactly. It's not. Is exactly common. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that we really have a firm foundation to, to put our feet on with, um, seeing that God's word has been passed. And so to get to walk into a museum and see these incredible artifacts and see mm-hmm. for yourself, these great manuscripts, things like the Dead Sea Scroll fragments and other early manuscripts really gives a lot of confidence to my faith. And so that's what, um, I've really enjoyed mm-hmm. about getting to know these artifacts and work firsthand with them. Right. So I was talking to someone the other day who isn't a follower of Christ, and um, and that's fine. And like you said, you guys want to engage, not not you guys, but yeah. just the Museum of the Bible wants to engage with everyone. What is exactly, your ta- what's yeah. the tagline for Museum inviting of the Bible? all people to engage in the Bible? That's right, all people. Yeah. Um, but and this person was saying, well, so the, if the Bible is the only thing that confirms the Bible, how can you trust the the Bible is actually true. And so we were kind of talking about how, first of all, you know, I think so many people maybe who don't just don't know, might even think that the Bible is just one book, one author, and it's Mm -hmm. actually 66 individual writings with like what, 40 ish authors. And even though they all contain one unifying theme, they've been all bound together. And so, um, and then there are also and obviously not that we're going to depend on outside sources, but there are outside sources like right. Josephus was a yeah, popular exactly. first century Jewish historian who talks about Jesus being crucified under Pilate, talks about the death of John the Baptist. He talks about Jesus's brother, James, um, Tacitus, which he was a Roman historian, references Christ, his execution under Pilate and the persecution right. of early Christians. And so anyway, we were kind of in this person I was talking to and not that I was trying to stun them or stump them was like, (laughs) really, I had no idea. And so I think that often we just, 
when we're faced with doubt of, is this true or is this real? And I think we can all probably work ourselves into a a doubt circle at time, you know, just reminding ourselves of that this faith actually wasn't founded on a blind faith at all. Like the disciples (laughs) were kind of pulled into this and witnessed all this. They saw it with their eyes and then they went around telling people what they saw. So it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't even that they really even had to believe that much. They just, yeah, they just saw it with their own eyes. And then, right. Yeah. I, I love the, this, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt quote, he says that we are inspired by a faith that goes back through all the years to the first chapter of the book of Genesis. Mm. And it's like this faith that we have, you know, this idea that goes back for gener. there are generations of mm-hmm. people before us and generations of people that will come after us mm-hmm. that are inspired by this book and have faith in this book. And those generations before us, some of the generations before us have seen, yeah, firsthand, like what you were saying, mm-hmm. walked with Jesus and, um, experienced this firsthand and, and that in God's word, we see that God has faithfully uh, given us his word and used people that are flawed people. Yes. But that he has worked through them to provide his word for us. Mm -hmm. And it's such, it's the best gift that we have. It is. And, and we also have the same roots as Judaism. We just, we believe and see that the Messiah has come and they're still waiting. And that's, that's yeah. the main difference. And that's been something that has been really neat with Museum of the Bible is that, you know, we don't take, um, stances on faith, but we do invite people to engage in this book. Mm-hmm. And so that means that we're able to work with our Jewish friends and mm-hmm. Catholic friends and Protestant friends. That's cool. So it's been neat to see all of these groups come together that, um, say, you know, we, do of course have our differences, but we all agree that the Bible is an essential part of uh, our faith and that Mm -hmm. this is important to us. And so we want to support that. Mm -hmm. So I love that that's been something that's come out of Museum of the Bible that uh, I don't know if we, I would have imagined whenever we first got started, but has been really a significant thing to see the unity around that, which I love. Yeah. Well, um, one more thing and then we'll move on. I was actually just reading this morning and I read this and I, I loved it. I wanted to read it. I scribbled it down. Um, it's out of Isaiah 55 and it says, it's Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. And it says, the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. Hmm. It will yeah. accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. And like we talked about earlier, we are imperfect people <laughs> serving a perfect yes. God. And so sometimes we don't always do things exactly the way that, you know, we're, we're trying. Yeah. We are striving yes. and pursuing God, but he's the perfect one. And so we we constantly boast in him and point to him. Yes, exactly. And I love that. Yeah. It, thanks for sharing it that. It will produce fruit. So. Amen. Well, I want to hear a little bit about you personally. So obviously you've gone through a lot in your life, but what is something <laughs> that you have personally faced in your life or marriage or work that's maybe been kind of difficult and how has God continued to show himself faithful to you? Yeah. You know, that's a great question. And, you know, and thinking about it, there are so many, so many seasons of life that, um, you know, you've got these ups and downs and, you know, that's just life and looking, kind of reflecting back on some of the, the experiences that I've had in my life. 
I am so grateful to see that God's word has um, constantly been there for me, even when I didn't think that it was there for me. Uh, I can look back and kind of see, okay, God was doing something in this and and his word was what got me through that. Even if, even though I didn't feel it at the moment. Mm -hmm. And one of those seasons was, um, so this would have been, oh, probably five years ago, I was traveling a lot with my work and installing these exhibits kind of all over, all over the country and all over the world. And just kind of through the travel schedule that I had and, and the season of life that my husband and I were in, we just got really disconnected and we were just not on the same page. And, um, we kind of got to a point where we had to have this conversation that brought up all of these things where we were really just in this difficult season of not being on the same page and not trusting each other. And that was a really tough season. And Mm -hmm. there were moments that it was like, this would be easier if we did not have to (laughs) deal with each other Mm -hmm. and stay in this. But um, just remembering the commitment that we had made to each other was for better or for worse. And that that meant, you know, if we're in this marriage and we're, you know, we're stuck together for life, like we want to make this a good marriage. And we, I'm not going to, we don't want to be stuck in a marriage that we don't like. Um, And so you know, went through a season of really seeking to just kind of build up our marriage to where we, um, you know, we're able to trust each other and, and rely on each other and, and have that friendship, you know, just really enjoy being together. And so that was, you know, as a hard season mm-hmm. and, you know, God's word was a foundation for us during that and our community, our church community. And, um, it's really neat to look back and see, that God was, you know, with us in the hard places Mm -hmm. and that he's, he's always there. And, and a lot of times I find that whenever things are easy, I am not relying on him as much. And I think that I can handle things on my own because things are going well. And so I actually tend to look back on those difficult seasons and, and the difficult valleys as sweet times of really growing in my faith and, and look at them with joy because, um, I've always learned a deeper depth of, um, God and his goodness through those seasons and those trials. So, um, I, it's like, it's like in Hebrews, um, the writer says that it was for the joy set before him that Christ endured the cross. That's like, how in the world would Christ have joy right. at the task set before him of dying a, a, a death on the cross? And, you know, it's Christ knew what his hope was in and he knew what was to come in the future. He knew that the cross wasn't the end, that there was um, life after that and and that and, and um, he was accomplishing something greater. And so we have that same hope. And in and in through Christ, that our trials and our sufferings are not the end of us, but we know the end of our story. If you read through the rest of the book, the scriptures, we know the final outcome, mm-hmm. and it is victory for those of us <laughs> in faith. And there is something better beyond this life, and and we get to live this life faithfully to Him to bring glory to God, and and He does that often through our trials and through our suffering. So mm-hmm. um, we can 
face those with, um, with hope and with joy, even when it doesn't, doesn't seem like it makes sense. Right. Well, I think that's so important what you and Michael were able to do. You know, there's so many times where my feelings, (laughs) they're not lining up with what my actions need to be doing. And so I think being able to say, God, you're faithful and this isn't a contract. This is a covenant in my marriage that I've made before you. And then taking those action steps, you know, saying, God, I'm going to take a step of faith and push towards this marriage, push towards health and restoration. And then eventually, you know, feelings follow. But I think a lot of times in our society that feelings trump everything else, you know, like, well, I don't, I'm not having fun. This is this isn't working out how I wanted it to. And so I'm going to throw in the towel. And unfortunately, I feel like I've seen way too many relationships who have just this amazing potential throw in the towel before yeah. getting to work through some of that hard stuff and be able to, like you said, you can look back and say, man, that was not fun, but God did a refining work, <laughs> you know, at that time. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing what God can do whenever we allow him to shape us into what he wants us to be in those moments instead of trying to, uh, control it in our own way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, oh, whenever yeah. I try, oh, whenever yeah. I, try I'm a, handle, I can be a controller for sure. <laughs> yes. It's like whenever I try and, you know, get some semblance of control over those, those difficult seasons, mm-hmm. it's like, no, like I just, I can't even do it. Like you have, you just have to give it over to God and allow him to work in our hearts, which mm-hmm. is really difficult and doesn't always come easy. It's, it's really a dying to self right. and allowing, um, our focus to be instead of what can I do to be most happy or most comfortable? Right. It has to be, what can I do to bring God most glory? Mm-hmm. And that really mm. has to be the question. That's such an important question. I need to like yeah. write that on my mirror. <laughs> Me too. I know. I've <laughs> got to remind myself that like every moment. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. So it's an important thing though. How do we take, cause we're talking about the Bible and all these facts and it's so great, but how do we take our real life where we find ourselves, which is sometimes messy. You know, this is the mm-hmm. messy table, obviously for a reason, <laughs> because we are sometimes life is just hard or it's messy. It's complex. It's complicated. Um, yeah. how do we take our real life and not mesh it with the Bible, but how does it just become one? Yeah. You know, I think that's a really important question that, our generation and and all generations have to ask Mm -hmm. is how how am I engaging in the Bible? And, and, but not just that, but how am I allowing it to engage in my life? Mm -hmm. And preach girl, come on. (laughs) I'm going to get my tambourine out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's great. Um, but you know, so for me, I've, uh, you know, I'm busy. I work full time, married. My husband and I get to now travel together for work, which has been a blessing. But our schedule can be crazy when we're on the road. And now throw in, we're both starting PhD programs. So we're both students now um, in, in a PhD program, which is very intensive. And so it's easy to to have an ex- a legitimate excuse for not being able to find time to be in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But 
it's something you have to fight for. There is always a reason, always an excuse to not be reading the scripture, but we have to fight for that. And two, the enemy is it's doing everything he can keep to keep us away from it. Um, cause the Bible is an indispensable weapon. It is something that strengthens our faith and gives us the tools to be able to fight against the world and the enemy's attacks. And, and so, you know, for me, I, whenever I was in high school, I had, I had grown up seeing my dad, reading the Bible every day. Whenever he did my homeschool lessons, he would teach me my math lesson before going to work. And I would walk downstairs every morning to go do my math lesson with my dad before he left. And every morning when I came down, it was super early because we, you know, had to study for an hour before he was gone. And he would have been awake, um, before I even got down there reading his Bible. And so I'd come down every morning and see that, see my dad going to the scripture. And he was a busy guy. I mean, he was running, uh, you know, being a part of the family business. He's president of the company. He's got four kids that he's homeschooling, but he took the time to prioritize it. Mm-hmm. And so that was a lesson that I've always re- really taken away from, um, just my dad's faith and tried to incorporate that in my own life. So when I was in high school, I decided I wanted to read through the Bible before the, you know, entirely read through it before I graduated. So I finished reading through the Bible, I think when I was about 17 and really just loved it and thought, you know, if this is a book that I am basing my life off of, I am claiming that this is what I put my faith in is the God of this Bible. I should be reading this. And by reading through it, just really came to have this deeper love for it. So I've tried to, so I do, I read through the Bible every year now. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I love doing that with you version plans now has made, I used to have these, you know, different, uh, Bibles that had the plan kind of reading it through the year. And it was, you know, awesome, but traveling with that was a bit cumbersome. So I love that you version. Yes. You can, um, you can really check your easy. little circle, check your box. Exactly. Know you, where you are. Plans. I can do it from the airplane, wherever I am. Um, so yeah, reading through the Bible every year. Um, and then also just the different reading plans that you version has are great too. Uh, it doesn't have to be a year long one. It can be, you know, a couple week series or there's so many great resources. So I, yeah, I encourage people Check, download your version if you don't have it, little plug, check out those plans. They're great. Um, but then beyond just kind of my own Bible reading and study, I, I've seen the importance of being in community and being in Bible study with other believers yes. because there's so many times that I've read a passage and then gone to Bible study with, with my home group. And we're walking through that passage together. And there are so many truths and points that are drawn out from the teacher and from just the discussion that I wouldn't have seen or wouldn't have thought to apply in the mm-hmm. same way. So I get so much from that, um, kind of group community study of God's word. Oh, that's such a good um, point because we yeah. were meant to engage in the Bible together. Yeah. And yeah. you know, let's be honest, there are some things you read in the Bible that are confusing at first, <laughs> yeah. at first read. <laughs> and so I think being able to dive into that with other people, you know, to maybe read some commentary to really go, okay, what is this saying? It's not saying what I initially thought it was, as you just said, different people have such great insight and points that maybe you hadn't thought of, or I hadn't thought of. So 
Exactly. And I think that's true also of the the greater body of Christ, of being in church. Mm -hmm. So that's another way is, you know, I get so much from sitting under my pastor and the Bible teaching. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that our generation um, doesn't always see the value in going to church uh, and, you know, just having a faith, but seeing it very autonomous Mm -hmm. and independent from the the larger body of Christ in the church community. But I think that is a really important thing that we, Mm -hmm. we need to be sitting under humbling ourselves and sitting under uh, Bible teaching at, at our local church that we can get involved in and serve together with. Absolutely. And then also with community engagement in the Bible also comes discipleship. So what does that look like for you? What's worked? What hasn't worked? (laughs) What do you think the key is? Yeah. So (laughs) what hasn't worked for sure is when I think that I've got to have all my stuff figured out before I can pour into anyone else. Exactly. (laughs) 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 I was just talking about this to someone, how how pretty much I actually think it's our pastor Craig that says, if you're going to ask, if you want someone to mentor you, don't ask them to mentor you. Just ask them to coffee, (laughs) just ask them to coffee and pick their brain and, you know, get in their life. Yes. Yes. That is so true. I think it can really paralyze us Mm -hmm. to maybe use some of those words like mentoring or discipling. Because I think we think, okay, well we've got to, you know, if we're, if we're going to disciple someone, we've got to have it all figured out so we can pour that out and all this great wisdom. But it's like, no, like we're all messed up and we're all on this journey of figuring it out. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think the things that have worked and I really am passionate about discipleship and, and seeing people, leaders and, and pour into other leaders and, um, seeing women pour into other women and men pour into other men. Um, and you know, I've just seen for myself that it's so important just to listen, like ask, get good at asking questions and listening Mm -hmm. because people want to talk about what's going on in their life and, and the things that they're dealing with. And so being willing to listen well, I think is really important, but then also just being authentic and, you know, sharing life, just living life and being willing to be open about your own struggles. Cause I think that, you know, we all want that authentic authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so if, if I'm trying to convince someone that I, you know, I do have it figured out and let me just impart my wisdom, then that's not very appealing because, mm-hmm. you know, we want to see that, okay, I'm not the only one that is a mess and doesn't have it figured out. Mm-hmm. And that we're all, you know, we can link arms and walk mm-hmm. through this life together and encourage one another along the way. Um, yeah. and, and so, yeah, I think that's yeah. so really important. Just it is. be authentic. Yeah. The just whole be you. show your best, hide the rest thing, that model does not work <laughs> anymore. And you know what? I think no. that generations past, I think everyone did try to kind of put their best foot forward a little bit more. And I think in today's age, it's like, I don't want, I don't want the fake stuff. I want the real stuff. Exactly. And that's, that's what works. Exactly. And then, and then constantly pointing it back to scripture Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, this is what our foundation is. So let's, let's draw from that and not just give maybe, 
uh, cute anecdotes that sound nice or are tweetable, mm. but <laughs> really, yeah, so true. Know, like really going to uh, where the meat is, and that's in scripture. I actually yeah. feel bad for pastors or authors that so often, you know, they'll just have this amazing message, and then it gets just <laughs> yes whittled down to a few tiny <laughs> characters. A tweet. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, I know. And then I also think it's important to note that, you know, that discipleship, although you can learn a lot from podcasts or books and different things, that discipleship really is face-to-face. It's sitting over a messy table together, looking at each other in the eye, maybe, you know, walking through some things, opening up scripture, crying, laughing, I think just being in each other's lives, like you mentioned, is yeah. a key thing. You know, it doesn't happen so from valuable. a stage to a crowd. Now, and I'm not talking yeah. about like a pastor to a church, that's different. But as far as um, one-on-one discipleship, that's how it happens. Yes. No, you're so right. And because that's, yeah, that's where we can get that really deep personal connection mm-hmm. and really share and, and be authentic. So that's absolutely super valuable in discipleship. So good. So good. Well, I just want to ask you a few last questions before we wrap up. Um, what kind of books or sermons or podcasts do you love and what do you recommend? Yeah. So I love podcasts, but late in the season I'm in with school, it has not been, I have just not had the time Mm because I'm usually listening to lectures if (laughs) if I'm listening to anything, but, um, so I, for podcasts, I always love listening to Matt Chandler. Uh, um, yeah, he's he my workout buddy. Is, yes, he <laughs> is just a great Bible teacher. And so I um, love his podcast. But I also like to, I also enjoy listening to Al Mohler's The Briefing. And okay, so I haven't listened to him. Yeah, so he gives like a 15 to 20 minute podcast every day. Mm-hmm covering kind of news that's happening, kind of the headlines that have that happened from the day before, but looking at those through a Christian, the lens of a Christian worldview. So kind of deciphering what can we as Christians make of the headlines that we're seeing today. So I appreciate that because, you know, there, I think that it's important for Christians of today to be able to connect our faith to culture and to be able to articulate well in a winsome way what the gospel is and how that can apply to the things that are going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people, um, you know, will look to the things going on in the world as the most important thing. So whether you're, um, you know, really into social justice or you're really into politics or, you know, caring for the poor or, you know, whatever, really into recycling and saving the earth. You know, how do we talk to those people that are passionate about those things and don't know why a faith or why the Bible could ever relate to those things? Mm -hmm. So anyways, I feel like um, that podcast by Al Mohler is just kind of helpful to give me some of that perspective and and that lens. So that's great. uh, Yeah. So those are kind of some of the top two, at least for now. (laughs) I love it. But as far as books, I think, so I'll just give one, like my favorite, probably one of my favorite books. Yeah. Give us your favorite. Humility by CJ Mahaney. And if you haven't read it, it's I a haven't. fantastic I thought book. you were going to say Humility by Andrew Murray, but you went oh, the other way. No, I haven't read that one, okay. but I should. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's a book that I've read and highlighted a million things from and continually try and get myself back into that book because you know, so many 
things that can lead us astray Mm -hmm. kind of stem from just this pride. Um, and, and that pride can come out in a lot of different ways and we can even have all the right answers to sound humble. And, (laughs) um, but it doesn't mean that it's (laughs) really sinking into our hearts. And so, um, just like, I constantly need to remind myself, um, just to have humility and to, um, you know, that's not thinking less of myself, but thinking of myself less and thinking of God more and, and really, um, seeing the bigness of God, which in turn makes me realize like, okay, I'm not all that. (laughs) Like it's all, I mean, anything that's great is coming from God. And so he gets the credit for that. So yeah, I, I love that book, Humility by C.J. Mahaney. All right. So do you have any pet peeves? <laughs> Definitely people walking slow in front of me can be <laughs> like at an airport, uh, can anywhere, anywhere. I mean, if you're at the okay. mall or if you're on the sidewalk, if you're in an airport, if people, if people are walking slow, uh, that really gets <laughs> under my skin and it's the stupidest thing, but I'm like, try anything to get by them and walk past. And I just, I happen to walk fast because my dad is a very fast walker. And so growing up, I always had to like run to keep up with dad. So I've just kind of taken on this fast pace of walking. And so my husband and I always joke. So if it's in the headlines that you start punching people, (laughs) then we'll know, we'll know why. Oh gosh, it's, funny. Yeah, it's ridiculous. All right. So what's one thing or a piece of advice that you would want the woman, the women, whoever's listening today to know? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that I would encourage myself and all of us to, to really recognize the importance of being in God's word and, as I mentioned earlier, kind of, you know, it's easier to do that when things feel like, at least for me, it's easier to do that when things feel like they're falling apart. But as I've seen in my life, the times when I was really being intentional to go to God's word in the good times, it was laying that foundation for when the hard times did come, I was, I was ready for it. Mm -hmm. And not because of me, but because of God's word and God's truth in me that the Holy Spirit used to bring to my mind to just remember, um, where my hope lies and to not find, uh, I guess my identity in the circumstances, but to really, um, find the hope in him that is always there, but I can so easily forget. So, mm-hmm. you know, just go constantly just making it a habit to constantly go to the word and constantly be boring God's word, um, in, in our lives that, is, I think, yeah, just kind of been the theme of what I hope to, um, be reminding myself every day and what I hope to Mm -hmm. encourage other uh, women for. Somehow the way that God built us, we were, we were made to need reminders daily and yes, (laughs) and we know that, but man, I, I have to just constantly be reminded of this truth. (laughs) But you know, it like reminds us of our own fallenness, which again can remind us just, you know, brings us to that recognition of humility of, Mm -hmm. you know, like we can't do it on our own. We can't do it without him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you're awesome. 
Well, thanks. You too. This has been super fun. I like you, Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) You too. Thank you so much for being here today and for just imparting your wisdom to us. Well, thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it and I hope that, hope that it's encouraging on some level. Well, thank you. Thank you to those of you who joined us. As always, feel free to share or send to a friend if they could use some encouragement. And let's be honest, we could all use these reminders, or at least I can. All the links and resources and ways to contact Lauren will be in the conversation notes for this podcast on my blog at jenjewel.com. Remember, you can subscribe there, or you can also subscribe for free super easily in iTunes. That's what I do. I click one button and my favorite podcast come right to my phone. More importantly, if you don't already have the free Bible app that we talked about, I'm not quite sure what you're waiting for. There's also an adorable kids Bible app for free, which is fun and interactive. So lots and lots of good resources to help us get engaged. But we are the ones who have to make it happen. I can't do it for you. Lauren can't do it for me. And you know, there are people losing their lives all over the world for this book, and it's readily available to us. So let's be a generation of women who are soaking up God's words so that we can pour it back out. And hey, as you go about your week, remember that God is crazy about you and he is at work, even in the mess.